0: and welcome to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty
1: and I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about weed control in winter wheat. But if you don't raise winter wheat, we're still going to cover a lot of things that would affect you and even some products that get used in wheat that can be used in many other crops. We would also be happy to answer your phone calls and talk about anything that's happening on your farm or answer your questions. Our number here is 844 44 AGPHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email radio at agphd.com. All right, so when it comes to weed control in winter wheat, probably the number one products products that I talk about are really the pre's. And granted, I mean, we'll talk post-emerge products too, like PowerFlex and Olympus and Outrider and stuff like that. But on the pre side, if you haven't seeded your winter wheat yet, and I, I get it, I mean, in many areas, the winter wheat seeding is already done or happening right now. But I really like Sharpen on the pre-emerge side. In fact, I was just talking to some farmers here in South Dakota, right before I walked in to do the radio show, about kochia. They farm in central South Dakota on at least some of their acres, and they have a massive kochia problem. And this is one of the things that can help solve your kochia problem. Now, you can run with one ounce per acre of Sharpen, but personally, we like using two ounces per acre of Sharpen. And yes, it costs some money. It's going to be eight to 10 bucks an acre. And I understand if you don't have real high yields, you go, oh boy, I don't know if I want to spend that much on my herbicide program. Even these farmers I I was talking to are like, yep, we want to try to get by as cheap as we can. Well, look, what farmer doesn't want to try to get by as cheap as he can? I understand that we farm too. I don't want to waste money. But by the same token, if you've got a problem with broadleaf weeds, sharpen is fantastic. It's really good at burn down, it's really good at giving you some residual for probably a couple of months if you're putting on the two ounce rate. Right? And it doesn't cost that much money. So anyway, I'd encourage you to at least be thinking about that as you move forward. The other side of it is the grass end of things. And it's nice to start out with something pre. So, for example, you could use prepare. That's got burn down activity and residual, but that's an ALS herbicide. So, if you don't want an ALS, with going after your grasses one product a lot of people have switched to is either Zidua or there's also Zidua in a product called Anthem Flex that also contains AIM so either way you get that Zidua component out there and Zidua is a group 15 very similar to harness surpass outlook dual warrant all those kind of products it's in that same chemical family now if you use sharpen that has to be done pre-emerge you cannot have any wheat out of the ground. you got to got to spray it that early. With prepare and with zidua and anthem flex, that is not the case. It could be either pre or early post. Now with the Zidua and anthem flex, I just suggest you go very late pre, so like right before the wheat comes up or very early post, whatever. But with Zidua and uh, well with Zidua, there is no burn down activity. That's the nice thing when you have, anthem flex you've got Zidua with no burn down activity but great residual and then you've got aim in there with no residual but really good burn down activity so anyway that makes kind of a nice combination and then later on yeah we do talk about power flex olympus outrider products like that for brome species there are a lot of winter annuals downy brome just for example that are tough to control in winter wheat So it's nice that we have some of these options. I just remember years ago when I was a young agronomist, we had none of those options. We didn't have PowerFlex, Olympus, Outrider, anything. It was rough. And then Maverick came out, which is now named Outrider. And for a lot of my winter wheat customers, uh, they just said, oh, wow, this is great. I got to go that way so at least I can get my downy brome, or we call it cheatgrass, under control. So anyway, I would encourage you to start with pre and winter wheat. And then you just have to scout your fields. I talk to a lot of guys that say, well, what's my plan program? I'm like, well, how about here's the plan? Use a pre and then scout. And then let's make a decision at that point. Because some years there's not a lot of weeds that come back. Sometimes there are a bunch. You just don't know from year to year. So I'd really encourage you scout your fields and then take a look and see what you got and make the best decision from there. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren.
0: All right, Brian, uh, get a comment here in this one. We were talking about tillage depth and MM sent in a comment and said, it's understandable that it depends on the grower's situation and their equipment that they have, but I don't feel there should really be a reason for intensive tillage anymore. Leaving crop residue has got a lot of benefits. And if it's weeds you're worried about, you're only tilling up dormant weed seeds to the surface as the soil is flipped over. Residue makes it harder for weeds to germinate and break through, and growers should just change up rotations to break up pest and weed cycles anyway.
1: Well, okay. In a perfect world, I'm going to agree with that statement 100%. The problem is we are not in a perfect world. It's too cold sometimes. It's too wet sometimes. Sometimes we have ruts in the field and there's no way to fix ruts without tillage. In terms of the residue out there, we know for a fact that we can break that residue down a lot faster. And in, let's say that I'm in North Dakota and let's say for whatever reason, it's the coldest summer ever. So my crop just simply is not ready until the ground freezes. So the ground is frozen. Now what am I going to do? And I I say, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in big trouble here. It's really late. Now I'm behind the eight ball for next spring already. So let's say that we do get a little bit of warm-up and we have a week to do some tillage and we go, okay, there's no way I'm going to get natural breakdown out here because it's so late and I want to plant first thing in the spring. That's how I maximize yields and maximize profit. Because here's the whole thing. Look, we honestly don't care how you farm. There are a lot of ways to farm. No-till, conventional till, full-scale, all-out tillage, uh, strip-till, I mean, or hybrids of any of those. I don't care. If you just manage things well on your farm, you're going to do fine. But my point here is, at the end of the day, you got to make money. And every geography is different. Every farm is a little bit different. So you got to do what you feel is right. And that's one of the great things here in the United States and in Canada, too. You, you have the option to do what you feel is best for your land in most cases, so you get to farm the way you want to farm, at least for the most part. All right, we're going to talk a little about weed control and winter wheat coming up right after this.
2: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at AgPHD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com.
1: Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com.
3: Get an extra semi load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans' moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action
2: News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown.
1: New Elevor herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS resistant weeds like mares tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burn down.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to AG PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today and our topic is weed control in winter wheat. Uh, It sounds easy doesn't it? Oh man we got winter coming but then you think about the weeds that we actually struggle with in winter wheat and we've got winter annual grasses and broadleaves and very early spring emerging broadleaves that can be a challenge too so it's not easy and that's why we're talking about it right now where we still have some time to do do something about it this fall. Got Paul Johnson with us right now at South Dakota State University to talk about this. Paul, you take these questions all the time about winter wheat and weed control. What are you finding that works?
4: Well, there's a lot of options out there that work, but this time of year the real concern is overdoing something probably for what we always refer to as downy brome, but it's actually, um, or cheatgrass, but it's downy brome. And, uh, you know, doing something in the fall is really important if we've got that bad. And a lot of the chemicals that we look at out there need to be pre-emergence before the, the uh, crop comes up. Some of them are early post, but we need to be aware of it and get on it uh, shortly here.
0: You know some of these rain showers that have come through South Dakota have been really nice for that fact that the downy brome has gotten a start where growers can can get out there and try and get after it or if they have something down they've got some moisture to maybe activate that herbicide as well. What do you look for in the fall to to get good success? Do you do you like to see well, some downy brome up first or do you like to get it before it even germinates?
4: Well, uh both ways if we got moisture uh, is always better uh, because uh, chemicals work better when the crop is actively growing. If you put a pre-emergence on and you don't get moisture to activate it, it's not going to work. And so uh, making sure uh, we got good growing and uh, things happening is, is the best scenario for the best success.
0: All right. When we we think about that, you mentioned uh, the fall treatment is so critical and some growers would say, oh man, I'm just not going to have time now. I'm too busy on corn harvest or whatnot. And Brian and I talk a lot about, you might have to stop the combine if you get a really good day and get out and spray because you're right. Those spring options, uh, suppression is probably about the best you can hope for.
4: Right. Yeah. If you don't get something started this this fall, uh, your options of uh 80-90% 80-90% control in the spring are, are pretty weak.
0: All right, talk to us about kochia because we get so many growers that say, okay, okay, I don't have the grass problem, but man, this kochia roundup's not taking it out anymore and, and I'm hearing there's some other products that aren't working quite as well. What do you see about that? Have you liked treatments like Zidua and Sharpen? Have they been good choices for priests?
4: Uh, for pre's, yeah, they, uh, they have an effect on it and they help out. And if you're going to a 2 prong program, uh, that's the way to go about it. You know, when we go post-emergence, uh, our chemistries are getting more limited again. And, uh, you know, especially if we've got other crops, uh, uh, there's constant worry that we're going to start seeing uh, dicamba resistant to kochia in the state and that's a very important one to us so we really like to avoid using that in winter wheat if we're doing uh, things like uh, uh, soybeans or or some of the other uh, broadleaf options uh, where you know there there might be some use of dicamba in it uh, because uh, i'm just worried we're in the next couple years we're going to find it in the state We've been lucky so far. All the states around us have have already shown it, and we want to avoid it here.
0: Yeah, for for those of you who aren't familiar with all the work that gets done on herbicides and weed control and, boy, just wheat in general. I've seen lots of of pictures coming up from South Dakota State University. There's a ton of research that's done done here. Uh, Paul Johnson's been a great resource for us in our home state. Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. All right, let's head over to Michigan, to Michigan State. We've got Christy Sprague with us right now. Christy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. All right, so Paul kind of hit on a couple of things. He talked about downy brome a little bit, talked about the struggle we've been having with kochia. What weeds do you struggle with in winter wheat, and what is kind of the center of the program for controlling them in Michigan?
5: So I would say um, kind of our top weeds would be uh, common chickweed, but at this time of year, We're still dealing with trying to get tail under control with a lot of those new rosettes coming up later, and especially in some of our soybean crops. And then we've got a couple grass weeds that have kind of started moving throughout the state, uh, rough stock bluegrass. And then uh, we have an area of our state where we do get a lot of uh, wind grass.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I love that. I love talking to people in different parts of the country because – oftentimes you may find a weed that, hey, we're not fighting that one yet, but you never know. A few years down the road, it might be a problem here. So talk to us about those tough grasses because they seem to be a challenge to get under control in the grass crops.
5: Yeah. So um, especially the rust bluegrass, that's one we've really done a lot of work on in the last couple of years. And uh, we know that a lot of it does come up in the fall, so we can get some fall herbicides out there that will help, you um, get pretty good control of it, uh, but we do know that it it does progress pretty rapidly in the spring if we don't get fall applications, if we get some of those earlier applications with things like uh, Osprey or an Axial uh, Bold-type product, um, has done a pretty good job on getting the uh, rough stock bluegrass. With windgrass, we've seen that um, really fall applications have been our best, and that's really been with things like PowerFlex or Osprey. And with those, um, a lot of those where we're talking fall applications, we're talking once that wheat is up. So um, it can be anywhere from emergence. um, Some of the product labels only allowed after uh, wheat has about uh, two leaves or three leaves. So it just depends on what product you're using.
0: All right, now you mentioned tail, and I know when we've talked to, to folks in your area about soybeans, a lot of guys will mention, man, the tail has been tough. Uh, I, I like that you mentioned these new rosettes that are popping up because, wow, what an opportunity if we get some decent weather to get out there and control them. What have you seen that's been working on that?
5: So for us, um, generally, we would recommend something like a, a sharpened uh, glyphosate mix to making sure that we have the MSO in there. Um, and that works pretty good from a burn down standpoint. You know, we've been struggling a little bit this year because we had some some good weather to get some crops out and maybe get a little bit of weed in. But uh, the rest of us are kind of sit- sitting and waiting um, until the ground dries for the next round. And so there's there's some guys that are still waiting. So, um, you know, those drills will be in the field as soon as those soybeans are off.
0: All right, the other weed that you had mentioned is chickweed, and we don't talk about that enough on the show. Uh, Talk to us about what kind of problem that can be, and do you see big yield reductions when chickweed gets out of control?
5: Yeah, we can see some pretty big uh, yield uh, reductions with chickweed, especially in the spring. If if we don't have a really good wheat stand, Um, wheat does a really good job of suppressing a lot of those winter annuals, but some cases we, you know, uh, maybe get a little bit further behind on that. So there are some good products out there, um, things like Husky, Talonor. Um, in many cases, if we don't have ALS-resistant chickweed, which we don't see a lot of, uh, something like an Affinity Broadspeck will work well.
0: Now, you mentioned the the Husky and the Talonor. I like that we've got that HPPD component in there for some growers, depending on the rotation, of course. Uh, that's been, been a nice additional mode of action to get in out there. What do you see out of those HPPDs up, up in Michigan?
5: You know, they've worked really well, um, particularly for a lot of the the weeds that we're dealing with in our uh, wheat crop. So a lot of times that would be the uh, kind of the premier products to be focusing on because we do have a lot of ALS resistant, particularly when we talk about marestail, because those will help a little bit on that marestail if we have some of that that is there in the spring. So uh, we do like to have that HPPD in there, and it, it does help a lot with a lot of the broadleaf weeds that we're trying to control.
0: Always great stuff from Christy Sprague at Michigan State. Christy, thank you so much. You threw out chickweed today, threw out rough stock, bluegrass. I think our listeners have got a little homework if they're in other areas of the country and (laughs) haven't had to fight those yet. But thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on.
5: Yeah, no problem. Thanks.
0: Talking about winter wheat weed control on our show today and obviously as you're getting a a fall crop started getting it off to a good start is going to be important I think Christy made a good point there too of if you get a good stand wheat can compete fairly well but if for some reason your stand doesn't get off to a good start you could have issues and you you heard the same type of talk from Paul Johnson with South Dakota State saying man we got to get a pre out there on a lot of these tough weeds whether it's the tough winter annual grasses or some of these tough winter annual leaves as well. We'll talk more about weed control in winter wheat and take your calls and questions coming up right after
4: this. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get of fungicide, swift activity with fast payback, an expanded application window, makes life simple. And it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima Fungicide is not registered in all states.
0: Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC
4: and get Panther Power in your tank.
3: Fill once, plant all day. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva Agriscience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three
4: effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean—they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like
3: nice fields. See the difference at kyberherbicide.com/soy. That's k-y-b-e-r
4: herbicide.com/soy.
0: listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today talking about weed control in winter weed and if you may have noticed some of the products that we've already talked about in some of the chemical families, well they're going to get used in other crops as well. We talked about HPPDs just a little bit and how they've come into the market with Husky and Talonor, and how valuable that's been on some of these weeds that we're trying to control. We're talking about ALS products that are out there that can be used in other crops as well and many others uh, looking at Sharpen and Group 15's like Zidua and other things. So there are a lot of cool tools there. The question is how you're going to use them to be successful. Uh, got another guy that farms in some tough country. Got a friend Lee Lubbers out in South Central South Dakota, part of the Extreme Ag Group. Lee, thanks for joining us.
3: Hey, no problem.
0: Hey, I, I had Paul Johnson on earlier with South Dakota State and he made a great comment. It really helps if it actually rains to get some of these products to work. I don't think truer words could be said.
3: Yeah, rainfall always helps.
0: You know, when we thinking about some of these winter annual weeds, and uh, we, we talked a little bit about the downy brome issue and cheatgrass, just how tough that can be for us. If we don't get those fall treatments on, it, it can be a real challenge. But the other comment that Paul made that I thought was kind of neat, and I know this is something you focus on too, is trying to do the best you can to get a good stand. And it's not always easy. There's, there's a lot of challenges out there to, to doing that. But where does it start for you when you're looking at it as, as far as getting... Your cedar set up and and other things. So there's some real keys here that that could help us fight these weeds without necessarily spending any more money.
3: Uh, well, we always focus on the fundamentals. You have to be out there and seeding, and not uh, going too damp. You don't want hairpinning issues because then your weeds behind. You're never going to have a good stand, and that just makes it ripe for weeds uh, and good seed to soil contact. So the better job we do at seeding. It just helps us manage our crop and our weed pressure all at the same time.
0: I know that you and your brother have done a great job with crop rotation too, trying to to target what crops we are going to do and what's the best way we can get rid of this weed and using rotation to your advantage. For some of these tough weeds in winter wheat that guys have really struggled with, has it been the Roundup Ready crops that have solved that for you? Or is there some other chemistry that's really made a huge difference for you to make it easier in the winter wheat?
3: Uh, Soybeans have worked really well for us with all of our pre-programs on the soybeans starting out a cleaner crop in our weed acres as we know till into soybeans but this year we switched it up on a newer piece of ground we actually desiccated with sharpen uh, before we planted wheat so it was a new piece of ground with more weed pressure so we sped up our bean harvest about a week and we started out with a clean field.
0: Yeah, clean fields are really really important and another thing that I know that you do so well Lee is the fertility piece of this and I was just looking at some numbers about what the all-time high prices were on NPK fertilizers and unfortunately we're kind of creeping up on those right now. How do you do it on on wheat where do you where do you never cut back on and and where are some things that you know, maybe you can can cut back to crop removal rates or something for this year?
3: Uh, We're not cutting back on our fertility rates. Uh, With our research on our own farm, if we start reducing rates, if we try mining just too much at all, we're going to start losing yield. And we know we've got to raise the yield.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about that, especially when you get good prices. If you can get a few extra bushels, it, it takes care of a lot of these input costs that are that are coming in. Uh, so how's the fall going for you, Lee? What what challenges you run into in your area, and are you seeing some pleasant surprises here and there, too?
3: Uh, we just got done with soybean harvest last night and seeding wheat about two hours prior, and uh, our winter wheat went in the ground great this year. Our first half is up, looks really good, good stands. But uh, and soybeans, for everything that they went through, we were very pleasantly surprised, very happy with our yield average.
0: Outstanding. Yeah, it's been an interesting growing season, that's for sure. So kind of nice, and there's some good news at the end, at, at least uh, one crop at a time as as we get them out. Uh, speaking with Lee Lubbers here, he's part of the Extreme Ag Group and also uh, a fantastic farmer in South Central South Dakota. Lee, you're always so kind in sharing your time and your advice. Thank you so much for being on.
3: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Yeah, that's there's a lot of stuff, and, and I think Lee's comment there, Brian, is is big. They're finishing soybean harvest, they're finishing seeding wheat, and this gets to be the challenge with winter wheat. Is we got corn harvest going on, we got soybean harvest going on, but you know the clock is ticking when we want to have that wheat in, and you also have to get weed control options done. It's not easy for guys with multi crop rotations.
1: No, it's not. But you know what? Farming just isn't easy, period. So I don't care what your rotation is. It always seems like sooner or later, at some point, you are up against it in terms of trying to be timely with everything out there. But yes, we would just encourage you again, if you can, use a pre-emerge herbicide or even a couple of pre's if you need to in winter wheat, and then just be scouting and try to stay ahead of things. The great thing about wheat... That We haven't talked about enough in my opinion is if you fertilize it well if you have good drainage if you take care of what you need to take care of so that crop can thrive it's going to choke out a lot of weeds so hopefully you don't have to spend a tremendous amount on weed control if you just raise a great crop that's nice and thick and lush and and does a good job shading that soil crop canopy is always the best weed killer there is. And the nice thing is, crop canopy doesn't cost you any money like you have to spend for herbicides. All right, let's jump back to the AgBHD mailbag. What you got next there, Darren?
0: All right, a lot of soil testing questions coming up. And, and get this one from Lee in South Central Pennsylvania. He said, Sounds like you guys have switched to Malik 3 on your soil test results. Yep. Just wondering why. Wondering also, what different numbers are you seeing on certain nutrients that we need to keep in range? And are there any certain nutrients that are really different than the old DTPA test?
1: Okay, so the two reasons why we switched over to Malik 3 number one, we didn't trust the manganese levels on the DTPA test, they just flat out were not accurate. And two, the the other test cost a lot more money. We're running a Malik 3 is less than half the price. And because we want to do one acre grids and Personally, and you don't have to do it every year, but for us, we like doing it every year just because then we have more things to talk about and it helps our research when we're able to do that. But that costs a lot of money. We farm over 3,000 acres, so you just run the simple math and it's like, ooh, yeah, that is, that's a lot of dollars you're spending in soil testing. Now, granted, I believe it's worth it because then we can better invest our fertilizer dollars where we need them and... And the other great thing is we're able to, because of all that data, we're able to match up yield versus our soil test results. Well, now that helps us figure out in the future, what do we need to spend our money on and where do our levels need to be for our yields and our soils? So anyway, those are the two reasons. It's the manganese and the cost. And in terms of what's really different... The phosphorus is one of the things where if you've gotten a bray test before in the lower pH soils, there's a weak bray and a strong bray. The Malik 3 is going to relate more toward the strong bray. And the strong bray test or P2 test is going to tell you not just what's available today, but what they believe will come available during the course of the next growing season. So it's not going to be the same as looking at your P1 or weak bray test because that tells you what's available today. Malik 3 isn't really going to do that. Um, uh, in a, so basically what I'm saying is the Malik 3 is a little stronger extraction than that weak Bray test. So it's going to pull more phosphorus out, just like hopefully your plants will be able to over the course of the next growing season. Uh, let's see, other than that, there's not a whole lot different. We're running the same tests. I mean, we're still testing base saturation, sodium, salts. Yeah, a lot of those uh, are the exact same tests. Yep. Excess lime, soil pH, all the micronutrients. So, so, yeah, it's it's the same information we're trying to get. It's just the biggest differences are going to be the manganese and the phosphorus.
0: All right. Well, thanks for the question, Lee. Really appreciate it. And you know what? Here's the thing to do. If you say, well, I've been running DTPA and I, I think those guys might be on to something or I'm just curious... Pull two tests right in the same spot, see for yourself, yep. and compare on your own. And maybe you like one, maybe you don't like the other, and it might be different for you than it is for us.
1: Yeah, and we did that for years before we switched over, so we were perfectly comfortable going to the Malik 3. All right. We got a lot of questions
0: that have come into the Ag PhD mailbag. If you have questions, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Or you can call us as well. It's 844 844- 44 ag phd coming up after the break got another test uh, or another soil test question from dan he wants to know more about how to read his test we'll talk about that coming up next
2: are you combining around weed patches waiting for weeds to dry down or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, marestail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game.
3: When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts, and nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad-suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotech.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards, cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season,
4: well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And our topic has been weed control in winter wheat and talked about the two pass programs, just like we do in other crops. Make sure you're getting that pre out in the fall. That's really key, especially with the winter annuals and then coming back in the spring and and cleaning things up to make sure you get a great clean stand of wheat. Uh, We're also taking questions right now, right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. You can always call us as well, 844 44 Ag PhD. And just for the break, we started talking about Dan had sent an email in and he said, I'd like to learn more about how to read my own soil tests, but unfortunately, I won't be able to get to your location during your soils clinics uh, this winter. I'm wondering, do you have recordings of previous clinics? Will you record or will you broadcast online January seminar? And if not, where else can I find your content online?
1: Yeah, we're going to broadcast online, but here's the reason why I think, I mean, I would just encourage you, change your plans and come out to Baltic to our home farm. It's right at the site of the Ag PhD field day as well. We've got a massive facility there, so we can have a thousand farmers all together. We're going to probably have 30 or 40 trained soils agronomists there to go through your soil tests with you as well during the breaks. So what I'm trying to say here is it's absolutely going to be worth your time. And I think this year, we're doing a two-day one, right, Darren? If I remember right, two days. So yes, you can watch it online, but you're going to get so much more out of it if you're here. So I would really encourage you to attend, and I believe it's up on our website. Correct, Darren? Yeah, it should be at agphd.com. Yep. So anyway, with reading a soil test, it's not that difficult. So don't ever let anybody tell you, oh, you you know, you got to study for years on that or anything. I mean, we're going to be able to teach it to you 100% in just a couple of days. So we'll go all through everything on day one. And day two, we're going to go through a whole bunch of examples and kind of to some degree, quiz you. So when you leave there, you can feel pretty confident that hey, I should be able to read my own soil test, make at least to some degree my own recommendations, and you'll have an idea of overall what are we looking for. What is what does it really take to make high yield, and most importantly, to make good profit?
0: All right, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, this one came in from Slade and. He said, you talked about sulfur, and you were talking about the difference between sulfur and sulfate. And Brian had explained it, in order to convert between the two, you'd simply multiply by three. Now, fertilizer analysis on labels such as on ammonium sulfate, 210024, if they show the sulfur number and not the sulfate number, correct. I'm wondering, why would we need to convert to sulfate at all? I understand why we you convert don't. phosphorus to... and parts per million and potassium parts per million, but uh, just
1: wondering about the sulfur. You don't. Uh, here, Here's the thing. It's, it's like we often say. If, let's say, we owned a soils lab, I can promise you everything would not be in parts per million. It'd be in pounds per acre. So we're all talking the same thing. So it's important to know conversions if you don't already have it converted over. But if it's already in the sulfur form and you're looking at your recommendations and it says sulfur, not sulfate, then you're in good shape. And since Darren didn't mention it there and it didn't come in in the question let me just tell you what the conversion is it's three to one so you take your sulfur number times three so if you had 10 pounds of sulfur that would be 30 pounds of sulfate
0: all right thanks for the question Um, you know one of the things that we get from time to time is is questions on products uh, that get used in lawn and turf grass kind of situations and I I get this one uh, So I'm just curious if you guys have ever used the the herbicide T-Zone. I'm just wondering what you think about that for control of Creeping Charlie and other such weeds. The active ingredients are triclopyr, sulfentrazone, 2,4-D, and dicamba and it's labeled for broadleaf control in cool season grasses. You know, we we were just talking about winter wheat today and how a lot of those modes of action and actual active ingredients get used in different crops, and here are four active ingredients that we use in a lot of different, different situations here.
1: Okay, so that's what we always want to know is what are the active ingredients, and then what we do is we will typically convert those things over to the name brands if we don't Usually, talk about that active ingredient. So, for example, triclopyr is Remedy or Remedy Ultra now, and sulfentrazone is Spartan. So, Spartan is the same thing as Authority, by the way, that we use in soybeans, and Spartan is the most popular herbicide in sunflowers. But anyway, we love Remedy for controlling shrubs, trees, things like that, and it leaves no residual. The Spartan or sulfentrazone that has really good residual. I mean like really good residual and it's great on small seeded broad leaves, little bit of activity on some annual grasses too. 2,4-D and dicamba you're probably more than familiar with, but let's put it this way. He said, yeah, I don't remember if it was he or she, uh, but said spraying in lawn or turf. Well, as soon as I think about that, my first thought is, how are we protecting the individual who is doing these spray applications? And here's what I mean by that. Dicamba contains benzene. Benzene is in gasoline. And I mean, there's a strong dose in gasoline, by the way. And that's a proven cancer causer. This is why you should not pump your own gas without wearing personal protective equipment. It's why you should not spray dicamba in your lawn using a backpack sprayer. So there's no possible chance that anybody in our farm is going to be using dicamba in a backpack sprayer or anything like that. We got to be really careful with dicamba because of the benzene in there. So anyway, I'm just trying to say um, I'm fine with the product. It's good. I mean, you're going to have some good activity, broad spectrum. You've got, let's see, one, two, three modes of action in there. Or wait, is it two? I, I don't remember. I think triclopyr might be in the same chemical family as 240 and dicamba. But anyway, Spartan's a PPL or sulfentrazone. But the point is, I like the combination. It's great. Just be careful when you're spraying it. You don't want to get the dicamba on you. If you ever get dicamba on you, you got to wash it off immediately. And I want to come back to what I said earlier about the gasoline. I'm dead serious. If you're not wearing personal protective equipment when you're pumping gasoline, then You are taking a risk every single day and let's say you're pumping gas into your car every other day. I mean, you you are being exposed to benzene, which is a proven cancer causer, every other day. I just want you to think about that a little bit because too often I see people at the gas pump and they're they're using their bare hands, number one, don't immediately wash their hands if they use their bare hands, and then they go right inside the convenience store, grab a donut or something, and, and now they just ingested benzene. So we got to be careful about some of these things. A lot of people want to talk about Roundup. Well, Roundup's never killed anybody or hurt anybody, but benzene has. I mean, that's a proven cancer causer. So... People are freaking out about Roundup, yet they're, they, they aren't even paying attention to the gasoline that they're pumping in their car. So I, you got to put things in perspective all the time. And also, let's always keep in mind, the dose makes the poison. Okay, So if you're spraying something, even if you let's say you did spray dicamba one time ever with a backpack sprayer for 20 minutes, is that going to kill you? Probably not. You're probably not going to get cancer from that. But when you're pumping gasoline into your car every other day, not using gloves or anything, any personal protective equipment, breathing the stuff in, um, that's got far more risk for you so anyway I'll just leave it at that
0: all right thanks for the question get this one from George you said I'm raising 180 bushel corn 55 bushel soybeans just wondering where my soil test levels should be on the major nutrients to raise
1: those yields Oh well, here Darren, you were you wrote stuff well, down. I, Go I ahead. wrote
0: down what crop removal rates are, George, and I don't know where you're starting on your soil test. But tests. yeah, I but
1: think... you need the whole you need the whole figure first. That that that's only what's going to leave the field. He's asking what does it take to produce the crop? Correct.
0: He said where should I be on my soil test levels, parts per million wise?
1: Yep. So that's not going to cut it. Removal is not going to cut it. So if you start talking 180 bushel corn, just for example, what do you say, P and K? Uh.
0: He just said, well, how much do I need of the nutrient levels, parts per million?
1: Okay. Well, anyway, phosphorus, you got to have 92. Uh, or sorry, sorry, that's phosphate. It's 92 pounds. And for K2O potassium, it's 243 pounds. But here's the whole thing. And to your question. I don't know how much you need for your soil test because it all depends on how much you can extract from that soil. So we'll answer this question right after the break. Again, we're talking 180 bushel corn, 55 bushel soy means How much fertility do you need in your soil? We'll answer that right after this. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton Studio. Right before the break, we got a great question from George, who said, or who asked, "I've got 100. Or I'm going for 180 bushel corn and 55 bushel soybeans. What levels of fertility do I need to be at in my soil, or where do where do my fertility levels need to be at in my soil?" So anyway. I had just made the quick comment. I can't say exactly because there are so many interactions with things. So, but let's let's start with this. Uh, ooh, we got the power going in and out. So, all right. Hopefully, we're still on. We still on, Janelle? Excellent. I, we're literally sitting in the dark here at the Ag PhD Studio. Thank goodness for battery backups. But I, I would just say, when you if you take a look at the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App It's a free app for your smartphone. Then you pull up corn and you pull up soybeans, and what do we need there? Okay, so 55 bushel soybeans, it's going to take 53 pounds of phosphate and 121 pounds of K2O potassium. For 180 bushel corn, it's going to take 92 pounds of phosphate and 243 pounds of K2O potassium. All right, so. to con- and I, I apologize because this does not make great radio, but I'm going to talk to you about two quick conversions. The first conversion is phosphate to phosphorus. So on most soil tests, it's going to tell you phosphorus, but all your recommendations and the fertilizer you buy, it's going to be in phosphate. So how you convert that over is you take your phosphate divided by 2.3. So 92 for that we needed for the corn divided by 2.3, that's 40 pounds of phosphorus that you need in the soil. And if you divide that by 2, assuming this is a 6-inch soil test, that's 20 parts per million. So what I'm saying here is, at a minimum, you got to have 20 parts per million on phosphate. And with K2O potassium, the conversion is 1.2 to bring it down to potassium, then divide by 2. So you're down to 101 parts per million of, K, of potassium, okay? So 20 of phosphate, 101 of potassium in your soil that's what you need for the corn that's the minimum okay that's what that crop has to have now have you ever found a crop that can explore 100 percent of all the soil not even close what percentage is it going to explore 10%, 20%, 30%. Part of this depends on placement in your soil. Part of it depends on rainfall. It also depends on interactions with other nutrients. So for example, with K2O potassium, we would tell you 4%. percent you got to be at 4% base saturation K. If you are not at 4 then the odds are extremely high. At some point during the growing season, your plant is going to run short of potassium. And I don't care what your parts per million are. If it's 100, if it's 200, if it's 500, sometimes 500 parts per million of K2O potassium is still not enough because your plant can't get enough in if the potassium is not in ratio with the other nutrients like calcium, magnesium, sodium, and hydrogen. So anyway, here's the whole thing. It would take us a whole day to thoroughly go through and answer every possible scenario to finish up with George's question. But my point is, number one, start with the egg PhD Fertilizer Removal App. That's what you have to have. The crop has to have whatever your yield goal is. Uh, those numbers are proven. They're from the International Plant Nutrition Institute. And two, please understand that there's no possible chance that your crop is going to be able to extract every nutrient from the soil Uh, That is in there. So it's only going to take a percentage out. And again, that percentage could be 10%, 20%, 30%. That's hard to say. Depends on a lot of different factors. So what a lot of things are in life, and and this is one of the things I, I learn it more even the older I get, almost everything in life is really just trial and error. So no one really knows people, you got all kinds of people that are going to give you what, what you may consider great advice, but you know what, if it actually is great advice, it came because of trial and error, not because of some studies, not because of some charts or anything like that. Well, the studies I guess would literally be trial and error, but it's got to be a lot of trial and unfortunately a lot of error. So I'll say this too. As farmers, we want to try to get by as cheap as possible, and I get that. But if we own the ground, we really, in my opinion, have to look hard at what can I do to build that soil so I raise the most crop, make the most money in the long term rather than just the short term. So don't be as much focused on this year's fertility bill as you are on the long-term profit on your fields. That's my point. Here's an example. Last fall on our farm, we said, hey, fertilizer's at like a 15-year low. We have the longest, driest fall we've ever had. We finished harvest early. We're going to spend a lot of money on fixing our fertility things once and for all. And so in some cases, we put on 1,000 pounds of potash per acre. Not in all, but in a few cases where it really needed to be fixed, we fixed it. Now, in, in the short term, on a one-year deal, did that pay? Well, of course it didn't pay in a one-year deal. But will it pay over the next 20 years that we farm that ground? We own the ground. Of course it will. So anyway, you just have to look at the long term with a lot of things rather than just, hey, it didn't make money for me this year. So what? If a bunch of that fertilizer is still out there for the future and now you've got everything in balance and in ratio, you're going to be a lot better off moving forward. So anyway, sorry I took six minutes to go through that. And still only gave you that for an answer, but I, I, I guess it's really hard with the question that, that we have. And and by the way, George, if you want to send us some soil tests, we'll take a look at them and give you our opinion.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, got this one from Grant up in Manitoba. He said, we've got powdery mildew in lawns. Uh, what agricultural fungicides would work for this? Um what would you do? Well, there's a lot of them. There's quite a few that would work. Uh, one that I know is labeled in lawns is a product called Headway, which is the same as Quilt that we use in crop farming. Same is that product labeled name, in Canada. though? Same product okay. name in Canada as it is in the United States. That's got two active ingredients: azoxystrobin plus propiconazole. And the azoxystrobin alone is okay on stuff, uh, and it's got quite a wide range of diseases, but adding the propiconazole in there gives you a second mode of action, and we get much better results on powdery mildew. So that would be where I'd start, but it isn't the only product that would work, but you asked for a recommendation, that'd be mine. Okay, uh, another question from Manitoba, and this one came in about crop farming. They had a poor crop crop due to drought. They've fought some compaction issues through the wet years. Now this year they didn't have so much compaction, but the reason they've been doing tillage is because they've got a lot of resistant kochia and in a soybean and wheat rotation, they've struggled to get it under control. Um, So, they've got that problem. Plus, they've got saline soil areas that are getting bigger. They're finding the ground is soft for about two inches, then hard for six to eight inches, and then soft and wet underneath that. They're considering subsoiling, but the problem is they've got big boulders, big, huge rocks. And neighbors that have been trying it have been tearing up equipment. So they don't know what to do. Tough to put in drainage tile in Manitoba. Also tough to put in drainage tile when you get got great big boulders. How do you solve the saline problem and how do you manage the kosher?
1: Okay, well you're not going to solve the saline problem unless you improve the drainage. One of the things I'm going to take a look at is what's my calcium level. And if I don't have at least sixty-five percent calcium on a base saturation test, okay. I'm adding more they've calcium. They've
0: got. Here's the challenge. They've got eighty percent calcium. Out I there. figured, and because they've got a CEC up of 30. thirty-one. Yep, yep. And magnesium eighteen percent. Yep,
1: perfect. Uh, so
0: that part is not bad. And five percent organic matter. So it's but heavy. Soil. Wait,
1: wait, wait. You said eighty on calcium, eighteen on magnesium. What does that tell you? That leaves Nothing a grand else. total of 2%. That's right. Yeah, right. So in the middle there, yep, all the soil yep, test levels of yep, cures. yep. So, well, I, I can tell you right now, there's not enough potassium out there. So one of the things I'm doing is I'm adding potassium. That's a for sure. But anyway, to fix that saline problem, you're not going to do it without improving the drainage. And how are you going to improve the drainage if you can't? of internal and drainage.
0: Now, yeah, surface ditching is what a lot of guys will do, but that know, doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve problems.
1: the problem at all. No, nope, you got to have internal drainage, to Darren's point. So, I would work as hard as I possibly could to get drain tile out there because it absolutely will make an enormous difference for you. It certainly did on our farm. It literally transformed our farm. Our saline issues went away and our yields went way, 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 way up. And it also helps a lot of the crops that you want to raise up there. So I, I, I just put it this way. When the weather's against you, Mother Nature's against you, let's face it, we don't have where you're at and where I'm at, we don't have Illinois soil, Illinois rainfall, Illinois heat. We're always against the eight ball, you know, in terms of the weather. So we got to have every other advantage possible. And that starts by having good drainage and, and getting rid of the saline, having a good opportunity for your plant to grow deep roots that's a tough
0: situation no doubt about it with heavy ground and lots of big rocks underneath there but but you just keep chipping away at it over the years hey thanks for the question really appreciate that and thanks to you for listening today be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio